I'm asking all of my listeners, my proud supporters of our courageous men and women in blue to join me and express your unwavering appreciation for law enforcement. Thin Blue Line USA has stylish apparel, great accessories that make a statement and flags that fly with pride. They've got everything you need to show your support for law enforcement. Go to ThinBlueLineUSA.com and shop a wide selection of products to show up your patriotism. Use code SID and get 15% off. Stand with me, Sid, and stand with WABC as we honor those who protect and serve. ThinBlueLineUSA.com. Once again, use the code word SID. I think now, looking back, we did not fight the enemy. We fought ourselves. And the enemy was in us. The war is over for me now, but it will always be there the rest of my days. As I'm sure Elias will be, fighting with Barnes for what Ra called possession of my soul. There are times since I've felt like a child born of those two fathers. But be that as it may, those of us who did make it have an obligation to build again, to teach to others what we know, and to try with what's left of our lives to find a goodness and meaning to this life. Hard to believe the porn-watching, crack-smoking Charlie Sheen was so brilliant in that film, but he was platoon. That scene when he's on the helicopter flying away and waving to his battle teammates still there on the ground on his way home, uh, for me, is one of the most emotional scenes in cinema history, and he really did a tremendous job. It was a great movie anyway. I mean, Tom Berenger was great in that, and Willem Dafoe and a host of others. But Colonel Jack Jacobs... He did it in real life. In fact, he won, he won, excuse me, he was awarded a Medal of Honor, a Medal of Honor recipient for his courageous and brave work in the Vietnam War. Fifty years ago today, the treaty was signed. You heard that Richard Nixon cut moments ago, and it was over. But as Charlie Sheen, I know it's a movie, but as he said in that movie, it still lives on today. And I would imagine Colonel Jack Jacobs Feels the same way. You know, Jack, all of our days together on IMUS, many years on NBC, MSNBC, and many years with me, Sid Rosenberg. Jack, Sid Rosenberg, and Andrew Giuliani, good morning. How are you? Hello, man. I'm pretty good for an old man. I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah. I woke up this morning, and that's all I, that's all I require. Uh, that's all, listen, one, you do that every day. That's a, that's a good day, Jack. But on a serious note, I, I know it's a movie, but uh, for me, that movie was done very, very well, and Charlie Sheen says the war is over now, but still lives on in all of us. So as we, I guess we celebrate 50 years today since the treaty was signed and Vietnam was over, is that still true for you? Well, I think it's true for anybody who served in combat. Indeed, I think anybody who's been in uniform, whether he's in combat or not, uh, remembers all of it or most of it. I think serving your country in particular, being in uniform, and in particular, being in combat, is a signal uh, period in your life, and you never forget it, Sid. It's, uh, you know, one of the things we've talked about a few times today earlier with Rabbi Joel Potasnik on Holocaust Remembrance Day also today, and we talk about all the time uh, with Frank Siller and Tunnel to Towers, is, is teaching these moments and teaching these moments to generations uh, you know, as more and more Vietnam veterans get older, there will be a day 
uh, in the future where, uh, you know, there there won't be any Vietnam veterans left long in the future, but in the future. Uh, how do you, as somebody who uh, obviously uh, not just served, but uh, served with uh, such heroism, how do you propose we teach the Vietnam War to future generations? Well, it's not the only thing we've got to teach. There are a lot of things like reading and writing and arithmetic. <laughs> very fair point. We, we don't do a very good job yeah. of teaching. No, we have to get serious about it, and, and that's only going to happen if there is a groundswell of opinion that insists that the, uh, that the educational system do its duty, and that is to, uh, to ensure that people don't forget what made them free. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of an observation of, um, of John Stuart Mill, who said something, somebody asked him about war, and he said something like, uh, war is a terrible thing, but it's not the worst of things. A man for whom nothing is more important than his own safety is a miserable creature who is made free and kept free by better men than he, to the extent that we don't teach uh, the sacrifices uh, that occurred so that people could enjoy themselves. Uh, they won't value it. Nobody will value it. No, we, you know, education in this country is a local issue, and it's fragmented as a result. We can't pass a law that says we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to teach that. Can't do that because that's not that's not how education operates in this country. So it means that every community has to get serious about its own future and its own education. And until until each one of them does that, we're going to have the problem we have today, where nobody. Nobody knows where his freedom comes from. That's a very, very sad thing. You yep. could be my education secretary. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. That was perfect. Medal of Honor recipient Colonel Jack Jacobs. Jack, I speak to a lot of kids that have come back from Afghanistan and Iraq, and I talk about how the government really wanted that war more than they did. But listen, they signed up to protect this country. They don't spend a lot of time delving into the politics behind it. They know one thing. I'm going to take a gun and go and protect America. That's what I do. When I go back to your war, and I was born in 1967, but I've got two older sisters. I, I kind of remember what it was like, Woodstock, people outside, you know, Kent State, all those days, and of course, uh, against the war. But my point is, whether it's Iraq, Afghanistan, or Vietnam, wars that the American people don't necessarily think were worthy. You guys never think about that, right? You just, you grab your gun, you, you take your oath, and you do whatever it takes to protect this country. You don't get involved in the politics, yes? Yeah, it's 100% correct. I, somebody once asked me, what are you thinking about? Uh, what were you thinking about out on the battlefield when all these protests were taking place against the war in Vietnam, the protests that were taking place in the streets of, of the United States? I said, no, nobody's thinking about that. <laughs> you want to, all you have to do, you have two requirements, and that is to kill or capture the enemy and take care of each other. I mean, the only thing you're concerned about is how fast can you reload? Nobody's concerned about politics right. at that level. Yeah. Right, right. All you're thinking, all you're thinking about is defeating the enemy and taking care of each other. But this was one that, uh, like the Gulf War, was supposed to be over early. And, and again, I I feel kind of guilty, but I get my education from this from Deer Hunter or Forrest Gump or Platoon. But it didn't seem like the American people and maybe even you kids at the time really expected to get the pushback from the Vietnamese that you did. When you were there, were you disheartened, feeling like, oh, my God, this is a lot more difficult than we thought? Well, there are two things about that. The first is we had a conventional 
an attitude about conventional war that didn't translate into unconventional war, which is what that was by and large, certainly in my first tour in Vietnam. The second thing is that our perception at the top of the food chain, the National Command Authority level, was that um, huge uh, amounts of, uh, of fire and maneuver would be able to take care of these people, and it didn't. And there was a third thing, too. And that was there was a great deal of corruption. Same thing happened in Afghanistan, Iraq, and a lot of other places where we try to impose our will. Too much corruption. And, uh, and as a result of that, the efforts of the Americans uh, got dissipated by the foolishness of the host country. I mean, we see that. We, we've seen that in a lot of uh, conflicts, and especially in modern times, more modern times, recently. We've discovered, discovered that perhaps the best way to defeat a threat is by unconventional means, which is one reason why uh, we have such a we've had such a push to to incorporate unconventional action into our national security sphere. Well, you saw today the report about the uh, about the SEAL Team Six is going to uh, Somalia and killing uh, uh, ten really really bad people who've been. Mm. Uh, been financing ISIS. This is the way we're going to have to deal with these people. Yeah. Well, considering that point, I mean, what's your take on American involvement uh, in Ukraine with the uh, obviously Russian aggression that uh, we've been seeing now almost a year, uh, almost a year now? Well, I mean, this is a very complex situation. The first is that we want to get stuff done over there, and it's taken the better part of a year to convince our allies to come on board. I mean, we we're giving tanks to Ukraine, not because they need M1 Abrams tanks, which are which, which guzzle jet fuel and are very difficult to maintain and take takes takes five months to teach an American soldier to become a crew member of an M1 tank, but because that was our ante to get uh, our allies to contribute leopard tanks. Right. From NATO. Otherwise, if we hadn't made that commitment, the Germans wouldn't have made their commitment. And those are the ones that we want over there in Ukraine. We've we've had a fairly measured response. And the one thing that works to our huge advantage uh, in Ukraine is the tactical ineptitude of the Russians. Yeah, they only have one way of doing things, and that is to bomb the hell out of the their opponents. Yep. And that's. We we hope that that doesn't work. They can't. They have. They do not know how to integrate infantry, armor, armor, artillery, intelligence into one cohesive force to defeat the Ukrainians. They they may be able to figure it out by the summertime <laughs> when they're going to try to have a. Uh, they'll try to have a, an offensive, but by and large, their default way of doing things is to bomb cities. Uh, with any luck, that won't work because then the Ukrainians who do know how to integrate their forces will be able to defeat the Russians. I think we're doing it the right way. At the end of the day, um, we in the West have to depend on Ukrainian valor. And at the end of the day, we have to do whatever we can to assist them, Sid. Highly decorated Medal of Honor recipient Colonel Jack Jacobs on today, the 50-year anniversary of the signing of the Vietnam Treaty. You know, uh, I have these conversations with Gordon Chang all the time. And uh, Gordon has pretty much convinced me, Colonel Jack, that 
eventually China is going to destroy the United States. It may not be militarily, but it may be militarily. And my partner Bernard, when he was alive, he would say, we can't beat them. We have a woke army, which we do. We have these discussions all the time. The wokeness in the army, we're not the same. And I agree with all that. But I still maintain, with all of our disadvantages, we are still the strongest army in the world. And not China, not anybody can beat us. What are your thoughts? Well, I I agree with that. Uh, Our problem is not at the tactical level. Uh, Our problem is at the strategic level. We have to make serious decisions about uh, what extent we're going to use our influence and not just military and less military, actually, than the other instruments of policy to influence what's happening in the Western Pacific. You know, China's got its it, it's got a bunch of problems itself. It's got economic problems. It's got demographic problems. And it's got internal political problems. Uh, anytime you have a, um, a despot running things, which is what she is, uh, it means that just about anybody who gains any influence inside can turn them over and make life extremely difficult for the whole country. Uh, our difficulty is that we have not yet decided to what extent we're going to challenge China in the Western Pacific. And we have one very, very large uh, uh, tool at our disposal, and it's not, it's not the, our naval fleet, which, by the way, is smaller than China's, or our army, which is smaller than China's, uh, or our distance from the field of battle, which is farther away than, than right. China is. It's our economic power. Yep. Uh, and, and the use of the... Economic instrument of power by the United States so far, not just in China, but elsewhere, has proved to be an extremely powerful instrument. And uh, we need to do a much better job, and I think we will, of using that power in the Western Pacific. You know, I want to go back, Colonel Jack, to Vietnam. And again, Colonel Jack Jacobs, Medal of Honor recipient, on with me. And Andrew Giuliani on this special day, 50 years on the day we signed the treaty ending the Vietnam War. You look at a collection of guys, for the most part, back then who came home, and no one has been treated worse than Vietnam vets. A lot of issues we've got in New York City right now, Jack, with homeless, crazy people on the streets, some of them violent. Some of these guys, to be honest, served with you 50 years ago, and they came home and Americans spit on them, didn't care about them. You know, now today we make it our business, Iraq, Afghanistan. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. You guys didn't experience any of that. Are you still angry to this day about the way you kids were treated coming home from Vietnam? Well, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not easy to be happy about it. Uh, but anger, no. I, but let me ask you, Jack, 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 if you want to place the blame, the blame on who it was, was it education? Was it the government? Who should have been there for you guys to explain to the American people you guys were heroes, not bad guys. Well, it's all, it's all politics at the end of the day. We decided that we were going to put 500,000 people uh, into Vietnam and go fight. We did it for 10 years. But we did it in the most haphazard and ridiculous way possible. We had a selective service system which selected people uh, to get drafted and threw them into the service. Now, to be honest, Uh, More than 50 percent of the people who served in Vietnam were volunteers. But at the end of the day, we didn't have what I think is vitally important and which we don't have today. And that is universal service. 
Today, we have the other end of the spectrum. We've got a volunteer service, which I think is a dangerous situation in itself because we've opened up a wide gap between those who are serving and those who are being served. During the Second World War, when my father served, he fought in New Guinea and the Philippines in the Army. Uh, everybody served. We had 20 million people under arms. And when they all came home, they were no different than anybody else. Everybody had served. Today, uh, most Americans don't know anybody in uniform or anything else. Every time, every time you meet somebody who's serving who has served, you say, thank you for your service. You know why we love the troops today? Because we don't have to be the troops. Mm. In Vietnam, is the, it was the worst combination. It wasn't, it wasn't universal service, and it wasn't an all-volunteer service. It was selective service. And that, and that resulted in exactly what we see today, Sid. Yeah, and not only that, Colonel Jack, but, you know, you would think after Vietnam, we would have learned something, our country. I have to tell you, the motives behind Iraq and Afghanistan, 20-plus-year wars, not a heck of a lot different. So I can make the argument, Colonel Jack, that we learn nothing from Vietnam based on Iraq and Afghanistan. Is that fair? Well, I think so. I think we, we never learn anything from our past errors. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that's a bit of an, an exaggeration. But, but at the end of the day, the people who are making the decision are politicians and how many of those have actually served and know what the hell they're talking about. No, no, we've got a, we've got a big problem. You're talking to somebody who believes in universal service. If you put everybody in uniform, those people who wind up making national security decisions will have had the experience of being in uniform, and they would be a heck of a lot less stupid than they are today. Oh, God, yeah. you're the best. God, we love you, Colonel Jack. Uh, I mean, 20 years ago when I miss you, you were having these great conversations with us, and to think you're still with me here with Sid 20 years later. And, Andrew, it's, it's just an honor to have you, a great American Medal of Honor recipient, as brave of, as they come, and just a tremendous job today, Colonel Jack. Thank you for hopping on and continued health and success. Okay, pal? Thanks, Sid. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks thank, for having me on the show. You thank it. you for your service, Colonel Jacobson. Thank you for continuing to educate us. Great job. He, uh, he's on all these uh, days for, for a very, very long time, and deservedly so. Again, 50 years ago today, the treaty of Vietnam. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.